This podcast is part of the 76ers Podcast Network. Search 76ers Podcast wherever you get your pods. Julius Irving is synonymous with the Philadelphia 76ers. He's been an amazing player that helped change the way the sport is played and an ambassador of sorts for the game of basketball worldwide. Dr. J is known for his signature moves, an NBA championship with the Sixers in 83, a two-time champ in the ABA, an 11-time All-Star, and a lot more. It all led to him being inducted in the Lenny Smith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 2006. This week's Tom's Talks podcast is with the doctor. We'll touch on Julius Irving's illustrious career, but we begin with a discussion of today's current events, specifically the death of George Floyd in Minnesota. Floyd died shortly after his arrest by a Minneapolis police officer. Irving's professional career started in Virginia in the old ABA. It was there on more than one occasion where Irving was pulled over by law enforcement simply on the way to basketball practice. So Julius speaks on this topic based on personal experience. That was crazy, man. That was, that was 1971, 72. I mean, it was, it was that long ago. And, you know, just in watching the video of this guy getting choked out with the officer that has his knee on his neck, and he's saying, I mean, I, I just felt like going through the TV and pushing him. You know, just get just get off the guy's neck. I mean, this this was life or death. Right. And uh, and I got stopped in in those days in, in the seventies. And you know, not only was it uh, a nervous time because you know you didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but the ridiculousness of it. And you know, asking me. Where do I work? You know, right. why do I have a nice car? Whatever, you know, it's not, you're not stopping me. That's not, that's not a reason to stop anybody. Ask them where they work or if they have a nice car. And, and, and that was truth be told. And, and so, so this has been a problem in our society for a long time. And, uh, you know, so the, the, the rioting and the looting and all that kind of stuff, you know, that just goes in hand with people who are opportunists trying to take advantage of a situation and, and, and doing, doing bad things uh, during that time. But it's not anything new, it's not anything right. new. I mean, when I was in high school, I you know, just had a, a couple of um, students, fellow students who were teenagers, you know, either get shot or, you know, get hurt uh, unjustly from, you know, getting roughed up or whatever. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a epidemic and it's, uh, and it's in our society. And um, I I hate to see it be encouraged and and fed. And unfortunately, a lot of things that are being fed are by being fed by people in high places. I know you went through that in reading your book and getting to know you over the years. But speaking of that time when you mentioned high school, and this is a lot more fun and light, and that is you and your friends would get in a car and travel around New York City and find games in different parks. And obviously at Rucker Park, you became kind of famous and and that helped launch your career. But that joy of going to find the best competition and uh, all being together and and I know you talked about that and, and, and really think back on that 52 some odd years ago with a, with a joy when you remember how 
how that was for you guys. Yeah, yeah, as a teenager. You know, the first time I played in Rucker Park was uh, after I signed with the Virginia Squires. I had never played in that park before, so I was already 21 years old when I played in Rucker Park. But uh, I played in Brooklyn, played in the Bronx, played in Queens, and, um, and played in Long Island. And me, a guy named Robert Mayrant, a guy named Lenny Carter, Odell Curitan, and Leon Saunders, the guy who named me the doctor, <laughs> and I named him the professor. Man, we used to get in the car, and it would be either my car or Robert's car or Leon's car, and, and we'd go look for basketball games. We used to, you know, from Long Island, we'd go to Queens, because you know, we kind of exhausted what was happening in Nassau County, right. you know, where all the good parks were, and, and we wanted more. And uh, I think when you want more, you get more. So ironically, one, one story, if I can, we, uh, you know, we, we used to go there, we had you know, T-shirts. So T-shirts might, might say something about where we're from, or they just might have numbers on them, right? And uh, you know, we, went into, we went into Queens, and we started playing full-court basketball. And at the end of the, end of the round, you know, the guys said, man, you know, you guys, uh, before y'all go back to Brooklyn, you know, let's, let's exchange shirts. When I said, Brooklyn, we, we're not from Brooklyn, we're from Long Island. And then they were so upset because they were like, guys from Long Island beat us? <laughs> we thought y'all were from Brooklyn. Right. <laughs> so we exchanged, like we exchanged the shirts anyway, and then we went back to Long Island. So it wasn't about geography. But there was a perception that, you know, if you're from an urban environment, you, you play better and that you are better. And that was an eye-opener for us, too, because here we were getting recognized by somebody who was closer to the hub of the game, you know, New York City, right. than, than we were, and they thought we were from there. One thing I liked, and we're going to get into your time with the Sixers and the A3 championships, uh, and changing the game a little bit. But again, going back to a little bit about your your early years in basketball was whether it was going to UMass or trying out for the 1972 Olympic team, where just to that point right there, where you just said, where you were finding out where you fit, like, oh my, maybe my talents do fit into this level. But you had a yeah. humble approach where in the end, you became one of the greatest basketball players our game has ever known. But at the beginning, you were trying to inch your way in there and figure out where your talents fit in. Speak to that. Yeah, yeah. you know, Tom, I, I, I hope that I've been humble through the whole journey. Because, you know, for me <clears throat> and my mentors told me this and encouraged this, you know, try to leave the game in better shape than it was before you got there. You know, so, so I think that was always somewhere in my mindset that if I could leave it better than the next group, the next core group, they will try to make it better. Because if I inspire them, then uh, if they're inspired by me, they will do things that will inspire others. So, so for me, the whole uh, uh, move to college and, and going to UMass <clears throat> and going to a school different than you know the big time schools, the Michigans and North Carolinas and UCLA's in the world, or whatever. Because I graduated high school, I was pushing 6'4", less than 170 pounds. 
And even though I posted good numbers, I was a 25-point scorer, 17-rebound-a-night guy in high school. And we finished, and we, we were 17-2. and two. And then first game of the county playoffs, we lost. So we ended up 17-3. And, uh, you know, that was it for high school. It was it for high school competition. So the college competition um, was next. Freshmen weren't allowed to play uh, varsity basketball. And I probably was able to compete with the varsity basketballers as you know, the NCAA realized and started letting freshmen play. But we were 17 and 0. It's our freshman team. And I remember the guys, we had a couple guys from New Jersey, John Bencourt, Mike Pagliera, Bill Kesgan. And then we had some Massachusetts guys. And then we had a couple Long Island guys, me and Rick Vogley. Rick Vogley went to Salonica. Played against him in high school, so we had we had two guys uh, from Long Island, and we <clears throat> we never lost a game. So, me, our coach had a lot to do with that because he was, you know, he was like Vince Lombardi. <laughs> he was he was a hard driving guy, Peter Broker, and uh, and Jack Lehman. When I became a player for Jack Lehman, uh, I played varsity for the two seasons, and uh, you know he 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 kind of kept the lid on things because uh, he played a very controlled game. But for whatever reason, I played a lot of minutes and I was very productive, you know, in terms of points and rebounds. And, you know, in the last year, uh, well, both years we got snubbed by the NCAA tournament. We went to the NIT in New York. And uh, so that first year, I remember, I think we were 18 and six. And then we were 22 and two because we played 24 games. And the NCAA didn't, didn't recognize the Yankee Conference. It was automatic. And so, so I never got the big head associated with, you know, being a national champion. And, uh, but I did love the game and I always wanted, you know, my own personal philosophy to apply. If I went somewhere and played, let it be better. Let it be better because I'm there. Uh, so that Olympic development experience, Olympic development experience happened in 1970 in preparation for the 72 games. So I got invited to the camp as an alternate. And, uh, you know, this is chronicled in the book, as you know. You know, I go there, there are a lot of players there who I had heard about and never played against who had much bigger names. And I went as an alternate. Next thing I know, they're fitting me for USA jacket to, to go over and represent uh, the USA. And I'm on a team, you know, with uh, Paul Westfall was one, and uh, Joby Wright, Cyril Baptiste, these guys who went to big schools, Indiana, Creighton, Tom McMillan went to Maryland, or whatever. I'm, I'm going on this team, and we played 13 games, and I'm the leading scorer and rebounder on the, on the team. And, we had three seven-footers, so it was like, go figure. And I think coming back and playing my uh, junior year in, in college, um, somebody out there said, uh, I'm going to take a shot on you know, getting this kid, getting him to leave school early. And that had not been a big thing during that time. Only a few people had left school early, uh, Spencer Haywood being the first, I believe. And then I became a part of a statistic in that regard because I left after my junior year, started my pro career with the Virginia Squires. 
WBA championships. And Julius, you changed the game. And, you know, obviously as a player, when you're playing with flair and you can sense the crowd is enjoying it. But then as you grew into your pro career and you're soaring and flying, you know, and the game became above the rim. And that's kind of a landmark deal in the history of our game in the early part of the 70s. Mm. Uh, and, that's, and then the game has changed, basically. Not a lot of people can lay claim to anything like that in any sport. Do you see it yeah. that way, that you helped change the game of basketball? Well, I'm not seeing the royalties per se, but <laughs> but uh, but there's a there's a uh, there's an undercurrent there in terms of people who are sports enthusiasts and who are knowledgeable like yourself and whatever in terms of uh, uh, moments and things that were change agents in in the sport and in every sport. You know, Jim Brown changed football and. Uh, the uh, so so I like to hear it discussed and you know hear my name uh, put in the equation you know, with Pete Maravich and uh, and I, I think when they have that NBA at fifty posted he and I are kind of like right next to each other and <clears throat> and I look at it sometimes and I say you know he definitely changed the game. I changed the game, and I think that's why we're together like that. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of like a special little thing that I have with Pete because I, I, I liked him. I went to camp with the Atlanta uh, Hawks when he was there, and just like with George Gervin in, in Virginia, he's stay after practice and we play one-on-one, and we just had a good time uh, getting to, to know one another and, and sharing our basketball styles and the things that we – brought to the game that were, you know, before perceived to be only done by the Globetrotters or done for show as opposed to effect. And I looked at the win-loss record and I said, well, you know, I might do things that are flashier and showy, but it's, it's adding up in the win column and the win column is way greater than the loss column. And, uh, you know, so that's how I view it. We'll have more of my conversation with Julius Irving in a moment. In this time of social distancing, NovaCare Rehabilitation is offering physical therapy from the comfort and safety of your home through their new tele-rehab program. NovaCare will virtually bring their services to you so you may heal, build strength, and get back to the things you love. Tele-rehab lets you easily connect with one of NovaCare's licensed therapists through web-based technology that is HIPAA compliant. For more information, visit NovaCare.com. Now back to my chat with Dr. J. When you talked about um, trying to leave the game in a better place, everybody looked at you and still today is this ambassador, this icon of basketball. But for a, like a generation and a half, 10 or 15 years, the Michael Jordans, like, and then it went on to Michael and we've gone through that with the last dance and Kobe and LeBron. In other words, a whole slice of basketball dumb looked up to you. So when Jordan or people of that generation came up to you and, you know, you intersected and you could feel that reverence, that must have been special. And then is the way you handled it makes it with the grace and the class and the charisma. Just speak to that whole uh, dynamic about yeah. being that guy. 
I, I think it's great when they when they look at you as being the godfather, so to speak. And, and uh, you know, I, I go back to my experience at UMass when um, Bill Russell came, and it was his. Uh, he just finished uh, winning the NBA championship as a player coach uh, for Boston. He retired, and he was a speaker. Uh, he was a speaker at UMass. So I'm 19, 20, and. Um, you know, he heard about me and asked me to meet up with him after his, after my practice and after his speaking engagement, because I didn't hear him at a speaking engagement. And um, we met and we went to the um, student union and we went in there, it was probably like eight thirty, nine o'clock. And when we left there, it was midnight, you know, and my life was changed forever. I mean, I sat and I listened to this man talk and his wisdom and his, uh, his sincerity. Uh, and, and there was an integrity about him extending the hand of friendship at that time that I had never experienced. And I, I wished and hoped that I could do that for somebody else. Um, and fortunately, I was able to do it and still continue to do it with Bill. We go to call him on the phone, and, you know, first thing he says, what's up, doc? <laughs> and, and we just take up where we left off. So it could be a week before, or it could be three months before, or whatever. And he's, he was that type of iconic figure. And I aspired to, you know, obviously I couldn't win 11 championships, 13 years, or whatever, but I could extend the hand of friendship and, and did that to, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and, and guys uh, big and small like them, Terry Tyler, Quinn Buckner, you know, just guys who said, hey, man, I'm, you know, I'm here. If you ever need me, just give me a call. Grant Hill, just give me a call. Say, just to say what's up. And, uh, you know, that, that there's a good feeling associated with that in terms of affecting a few different generations because now at 70, you know, you know, 40 years past my prime on the court, maybe 45 years past my prime on the court. So there's been multiple generations of players who I've met in some capacity. And I tried to build Russell due to them, what they, what they did to me, what he did to me. That's awesome. And you're great at that. And during your prime, you were an 11-time All-Star. And what I love, too, is you were five-time first-team All-NBA. And of course, you did win that championship with the Sixers in 1983, but it was a long time coming, starting in the 77 finals when you played Portland and then trying to get there. Um, just kind of walk us through that. I know that's a lot, but to finally achieve your goal after getting knocked down with a group that was primarily able to stay together and then adding Moses to finally get you over the hump. But that's a rarity. You don't really find that as much anymore where a team is able to you know, take the steps and finally punch through. Uh, but you were at the peak of your powers with the MVP in, in 81. And just like I said, getting into that finals and winning in 83. Well, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, there's, there's like three parts to my career. So there's the first five years, which are the ABA years. And there's the next 11 years, which is the, you know, quest, not the next seven years quest for the championship and then there's the four years you know afterwards in which we we weren't contenders 
but you know we were competitive we were like the spoilers and and that and that was an interesting time so um but the 11 years with with Philadelphia so I, I look at that as the middle and the end uh, of my basketball life and the chase in those first uh seven years with going to four finals in seven years like you said it doesn't always happen and, and, and the team that we had uh, we had the best record in the league the first year we had George McGinnis the uh, brother from another mother <laughs> and Doug Collins and Henry Bibby and Joe Bryant Kobe's Kobe's dad Henry Bibby Mike Bibby's dad and uh, Harvey Ketchens, Tamika Ketchens' dad, <laughs> and uh, so we, so we had we had some good uh, genealogy on that team, and Gene Chu coached, right. and obviously that that initial team, and we got all the way to the championship, uh, won the first two games, and then lost the next four games. So that just kind of set the table for. Uh, it can get worse or it can get better. And I think it got worse before it got better because we had a void before we really got back uh, to the championship. And that's when the team began to evolve and the team began to change. And, you know, instead of uh, Henry Bibby and Doug Collins, you know, we ended up with Maurice Cheeks and Andrew Tony uh, as backcourt with Clint Richardson and Franklin Edwards as the, as the other two guards leading up to the 73 team. Or the '83 team, and uh, so we we ended up with a with a makeup with Billy Cunningham coming in and Chuck Daly, and shaping and molding and trimming and cutting and and uh, and from '77 to '80 three year window, '80 we got back, and uh, and Billy was in charge and uh, and he had the championship experience in the '66 '67 team, and you know had uh, infinite uh, coaching wisdom. You know, from playing for Dean Smith and the program in North Carolina, and whatever, and and uh, so that's what he knew. And Chuck knew, and Chuck Daly was our X and O guy, and you know, was a champion by all regards. So, so we had we had leadership on and off the court. You know, we, we, I think we had the pedigree uh, to to be a champion, and we just we just we just needed that piece that came in '83, which was Big Mo. And, and Mo, Mo needed us. Mo needed us. He hadn't won any championships uh, in either league, the ABA or the NBA. And, and he was a great, uh, all-time great, and destined to be an all-time great with a 22-year career or whatever. But I think he needed us as, more, as much as we needed him, and, and we really needed him. And, 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 and during that time, uh, I, I like to think about you know, going three times in six years and becoming a runner-up, does your window close? You know, is is that it? And that as good as it gets. Well, you've got a couple of ABA championships, you got NBA MVP, ABA multiple MVPs, and so on. So, is that it? Is that is that my whole story? Because it would be a big void if NBA champion wasn't listed with on that resume. And, uh, and for some players, it doesn't get listed on the resume. So it's nothing, nothing that guarantees it. So I was very, very fortunate to, uh, to get it in 83 because there wasn't going to be another shot at getting it 
unless we stayed intact, and we didn't stay intact because you know, we traded Moses the next year to Washington for Jeff Rulin, and we went down. And uh, you know, the next four years, it was just kind of like riding out the string, you know, being a spoiler, uh, being good enough to be a playoff team every year, but not really being good enough to be a champion. When you guys win the championship, and I know the, and you've lost some of your brothers from, from those years, um, yeah. Moses, and, but when you fly back from Los Angeles and you land in Philadelphia and just the, the memories of the parade, of being at yeah. Veterans Stadium, of going down Broad Street, the joy that you delivered after promising to a city that, you know, we owe you one, and finally... Yeah being the champion. I would imagine that was like a magic carpet ride. It was a magic carpet ride, Tom. It was uh, it was so special, friends and family in tow, uh, you know, riding down the streets of Philadelphia to the stadium just to just to just to enjoy the moment and celebrate uh, that moment. You know, there was a lot of uh, 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 social unrest going on in Philadelphia during that time, you know, with the move group and elections, you know, being rigged and, and so much going on. So I, I think the, the championship brought the city together and averted uh, something you know, very, very bad, very, very bad thing that could have happened because uh, Philadelphia was, you know, ready to explode uh, during that time. And I think the team uh, definitely uh, brought people together and, and created a oneness of mind and spirit. And, and, and created a movement going forward that, uh, that helped uh, get over that hump. You are a hugger. And at this time, we're, you know, elbow tappers. Like, and you're, yeah. you know, like I said, you've been an ambassador for basketball for the Sixers. Yeah. Coming back here to Philadelphia, this is going to change things a little bit. You're not going to be able to, at least for now anyway, dole out <laughs> autographs or, or yeah. say hello to people the way you've yeah. always done it. Yeah, it's a nice break. <laughs> it's a nice break because sometimes you feel like I'm signing my life away. You know, you go to these shows and you know you sign like two, three, four thousand autographs, and, uh, and I've always been good about it. And obviously, it's, it's a business piece to it now with uh, right. you know fanatics and and the different companies that are that are in it uh, to win it. So. Um, so right now it's been a break, and, and ironically, I, I, I tripped on some steps with flip flops on, and I hit my elbow. So my bursa sack uh -huh. burst is it's, it's swollen, and it's like a knot on the end of my elbow. So okay. I'm not even giving people elbows right now, not with this one. Right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's a different time, and, and the meaning of your question is really about the contact. Uh, with, with people, the physical contact with people, they're getting in your face, the one-on-one -on -one conversations. And now here's how we're doing it. We're doing it virtually, right. you know, with Zoom and other, other apparatuses, FaceTime. And uh, the older people have to get used to using the technology and embracing right. the technology because right. there's a new normal coming and, and it, might, it might be like this forever in terms of certain types of communication. I mean, you know, I don't want to go anywhere near a hospital or an emergency room, right? Whatever, but you still might need some medical attention and whatever. They have to do it, do it like this, and 
it's it, it's amazing. And, and and one of the other things we're doing is, you know, watching a lot of TV. I'm watching a lot of channels that I never watched before. Right. I'm seeing all these documentaries on pandemics and all these uh, fictional movies about what could happen, and this is really happening. So, yeah, right. You know, yeah, yeah. They, 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 there's a bunch of movies on this, a whole category, and I, I just missed them over the years. Yeah, who knew? I see it now, and uh, I'm seeing them now, and, and it's uh, they're eye-opening. We'll close with this, uh, provided basketball does return uh, in the form that's being reported. The Sixers uh, are healthy. Everyone says they're built for the playoffs. We close with you talking basketball about the Philadelphia 76ers. What do you think the chances are for this current group, provided the NBA resumes play? Well, I mean, I like what we have. I think that, you know, we got the positions uh, covered. We got depth. And, uh, and so now it's, you know, to the aggressor goes the spoils. You know, we have to initiate, instigate, and, and really go after it. Like, you know, can't wait for, I don't know, wait for teams to make mistakes. You have to force teams into making mistakes. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, quite, it's kind of like a coup de grace, one for all and all for one, or whatever, you know, stop fooling around uh, with this thing. It's not something that's going to be given to you. Right. You know, other teams want it as much. And if there's any team out there that wants it more, then you have to adjust and, and want it more than they do. So I think, uh, you know, know who, your, know who your enemy is, know who your opponents are, and, uh, and be the aggressor. You know, I, I think a, a aggressiveness will pay dividends for our team. And I think, uh, if, you know, hey, if we've got a center in foul trouble, if, if, you know, Joe gets in foul trouble. Uh, we got backup. We got backup. We got backup guys. We got backup guys at every position. You know, Al. You know, Al could be the starting center. They could, they could, they could flip flop roles. You know, as much grief as Al has given us when he was in Boston, we want that Al to show up, <laughs> not just. And he, and he usually shows up at playoff time. Whatever. So you know, the bias is great, and, and keep things level in terms of team and distribution and whatever. And Ben, Ben's a, a phenomenal. He's a you know he's a prodigy. Um, you know, I think he's no one in all of his life, and uh, and he's he, you know he's come the most direct route <laughs> to to uh, pro basketball than uh, than than anybody. From the time he started playing, and I saw the docu series, documentary, you know, the team he started playing basketball, he's come directly to, to this stage and this platform and whatever. So, so I, I think he's ready for it. And, uh, you know, I, I like our chances. Well, I so much appreciate your time. I can't wait till we're able to get back and uh, be in a more normal situation, if you will. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Thank you, Dr. J. All right. You take care. See you, Tommy. Thanks for listening to Tom's Talks with me, Tom McGinnis, on the 76ers Podcast Network. Check for new episodes every weekend.